night. Good morning. You guys hanging in there? Not too tired? I just want to say thank you for being such a good good listeners this week. That that's been my impression that you all've know, received well, listened well, uh, been attentive and um, as a speaker, I appreciate that. It's it's good to to have you all here and to be able to share with you. Um, so we're in James, James chapter one, and so if you would turn back to to the book of James, again we can't start without a little bit of a quiz. So let's let's quiz and see how much you can remember from the last two sessions. We started out with God's goal or objective in trials. And it can't be someone who's answered before. Shall we do that? All right. What's God's objective in trials? Anybody want to venture a guess? Test spiritual, Test spiritual maturity. He wants to make us spiritually mature, make us more like Christ in character. Okay. How does he go about that? How does he, what's the means he uses, at least one of the means he uses to bring that about? Trials in our lives, right? Trials test our faith. They strengthen our faith. And how are we to respond in that first session? What's the very first thing he says we need to respond in what way? Count it all joy. That's right. Count it all joy when you counter various trials. Now, yesterday, we looked at two more responses. Our posture in trials, we looked at two big things. The first thing we ought to do is what? What's the first thing we ought to do when we encounter trials? The first big block is about praying, right? Praying, asking God for wisdom. Our posture towards God should be asking. His posture towards us is what? Giving. Isn't that beautiful? Your posture is asking. His posture is giving. And the second thing that we looked at, we looked at it more briefly, but it's kind of a strange thing. We're told to pray or ask, and we're also told to what? Who said that? Good. Boast. Which is kind of unusual, right? Boast. Just to make much of something. And we're to boast not in what? Not boast in ourselves, our earthly resources, the things that we're good at and we tend to lean on. But we're to boast in what? Our relationship with God. Man, you guys were listening well. You passed the test, another A+. Plus. You ought to come to school here. You'd be a great student. Um, all right. Now we're going to dive into verse 12 to verse 18. We're thinking about temptations in trials. Let me begin in prayer. And then as we've done in the past, I'm going to read through everything we've looked at and get us up to speed up to verse 12. So let's let's pray. Father, we come and ask once again that you would speak. That it would be more than just my words, but that you would speak and that we would all be conscious that you are speaking to us. And I ask that you would give us hearts to respond to you, to your voice. So I ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin reading in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. Here's the promise. It will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory or boast in his high position. And the rich man is to glory or boast in his humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Now we get to verse 12. It's a bit of a transition verse. He's summarizing some of what he's talked about. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I want to stop right there um, because it's an important verse. Summarize that verse before we move on to the main section of our uh, the main passage here. It says, blessed is the man. It's kind of interesting because it's a little bit like Psalm 1. Here's who's the blessed man. What's interesting is James says the blessed man here in our passage is not the person the man or the woman who experiences a pain-free, full of comfort life, easy life, prosperity life. That's not what he says. He says the blessed person here is the person who experiences trials and he perseveres in his trust in God through those trials all the way to his dying breath. And why is he blessed? Well, he tells us because that person receives the crown of life, the reward of eternal life in the presence of God. Jesus said something similar in the Gospels. He says, the one who endures to the end will be what? Saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I want to clarify something because it's easy for us to get confused in our minds. I want to be really clear. You and I do not earn our salvation by persevering in trials. Okay. He's not talking here about earning your salvation. How are we saved? We're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and that not of ourselves. That is, we're not saved by our effort, by the things that we do, by how good of a person we can be. We're saved by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he died for us. And that his death on the cross purchased for us forgiveness with God. That's how we are saved with God. But what is being said here is that person who has experienced that salvation, that person will persevere in their faith all the way to the end. That person who first trusts in Jesus will keep on trusting in Jesus. Does that make sense? They will do that. They will persevere in their trust in God. But I also want to caution one other thing that we can get confused about. This perseverance 
in trusting God does not mean perfection. It does not mean sinlessness. It doesn't mean we never fail in the midst of difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean that sometimes we really struggle. Sometimes we sin in the midst of difficult circumstances. We're going to talk about that today. But what it does mean is that every time we fail, every time we sin, we turn back to God. Again and again and again, we turn back to God. We cry out to him. We put our trust in him. And he rescues us again and again and again. Does that make sense? And I hope that that is encouraging to you. Because failure is not final. Have you failed? I failed. I failed since I put my trust in Jesus. <laughs> There's been failure in my life. But that failure is not final. We can turn back to God. We can trust in God and go back to Him again and again and lean on Him. God is trustworthy. I hope that's something you're hearing in this conference. That God is trustworthy. That you can turn to him. You can cry out to him. He knows what you're going through. He's in control of the circumstances of your life. And he's working the circumstances for your good. He's doing that. He's doing that right now in your life. Now we move to this final section. And I here in this final section in James, James addresses a common temptation that we face in the midst of suffering, trials. So read with me, beginning in verse 13. Here's the temptation. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing, every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So we're going to be thinking about three things tonight, tonight, this morning. I'm sleepy. Are you sleepy? No, I'm not sleepy. I'm good. Okay. Three things. The lie, the truth, the proof. Here, here the, here's my outline. He first introduces a lie, a lie that's easy to believe in the midst of difficult circumstances. And then he tells us what is the actual truth, what we ought to believe. And then he gives us proof for that. Okay, so we have the lie, we have the truth, and we have the proof. Times of trials are also times of temptation. You experience that in your life? And at the root of trials... Our lies, at the root of temptations, are, are lies that we can believe. Remember, remember how we defined a trial in the first session. A trial, in one sense, is any circumstance or situation that tests whether or not I trust in Jesus. It can be anything. But it's testing whether or not you trust in God, in Jesus Christ. Note that a trial, then, is also a temptation. It's a temptation not to trust in God. Think about Job. 
back in the Old Testament. You know the story of Job? Job was one of the wealthiest, most famous men in the in, in that time, in his day. Be a guy like Elon Musk or something. Extremely wealthy, extremely powerful, like a multimillionaire, billionaire. But he was a godly man, a righteous man. And in one day, he lost all his possessions, everything. He lost it all. Boom. And on the same day, his kids, seven sons, three daughters, were in a home. House collapsed. They all died. Lost all his possessions. Lost all his children. One day. It's pretty traumatic, isn't it? And then shortly afterwards, he gets struck with boils. Terrible disease, just an agony, where he's just scraping himself with the rocks, and just trying to relieve the agony. And the temptation that came to him actually came through his wife. What did she say? Anybody remember? Curse God and die. It's interesting. This morning from Stephen, we heard, cry out to God and live. You can do two things, curse God and die. Or cry out to God and live. But what did Job do? Did he curse God and die? That was the the temptation. Blame God. Look at what God's done in your life. Blame him. Curse him. Be done with it. Give up on life. But Job said, God, you've given. God, you've taken away. Blessed be your name. When you're faced with a trial, you're always faced with a choice. You're going to go one of two ways. You're either going to move towards God in worship and in trust, or you're going to move away from God and you're going to blame him, curse him, walk away from him. You're always faced with that choice in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so that is what James is talking about. Let no one say, verse 13, when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. Let's think about these three lies. There's three lies I'm going to raise here. The first lie that is we're tempted to believe is to believe that sin is the result of my environment or circumstances. Now you'll see in a moment why that's important. But it's this, this, we're, we're, we're very prone to this. I sin. It's not really my fault. It's because of what's happening in my life. It's because of the people around me. If, if it, you know, if my siblings were not so irritating, I wouldn't have gotten angry with them. You know, if my parents just would stop telling me what to do, I, I'd be perfectly respectful, beautiful, wonderful child. You know, if if I didn't feel sick all the time, I wouldn't be depressed. If if I didn't have these desires, I, I wouldn't go towards these impure images. If you know, if I just had the better team. Man, you would see how great of an athlete I am. I mean, it's it's not me. It's everybody around me. If they could just get their act together. We might not verbalize these things, but in our hearts we often believe. There's a strong temptation to think this way. That the problem is not me. The problem is everyone else. And if I had optimal circumstances, I would be a perfect person. And that is a lie. It's a lie that's easy to believe. Problem's not with me. It's with everything and everyone around me. And that leads to the second lie. The second lie is to take it a step further and say, okay, 
Who put those people around me? Who put those circumstances into my life? Oh, God. God's the one who's in control. And so God is the one who's ultimately causing me to sin. He's evil in my life. He's tempting me. He's, I'm going to blame him. You, you see how this one thing leads to the other? If I blame my circumstances, I'm going to end up blaming God. God, you're causing me to lash out at people. You're causing me to be impatient and irritable and angry. You're causing me to, to, to sin. You're trying to destroy me. Have you ever had those thoughts? The temptation to think that God is seeking to destroy you, to undo you. That he is seeking your ill. I know I've struggled with those thoughts, those temptations to think that way. And that leads to a third lie. It's kind of the result of these first two lies. And it's the lie to believe, well, I'm, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of my circumstances. I'm not responsible for my sin. I'm really a good person. I've just give, been given a bad lot in life. And what does that lead to? Well, that leads to poor me, right? Poor me. I'm, I'm not at fault. And what we, what, what we tend to do then is deflect all the blame off ourselves and we put all the blame on everyone around us and everything around us and ultimately on God. And James knows this. And so he warns us, let no one say when he is tempted, when he's going through these trials and is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. You see, it's very difficult to blame God and trust God at the same time. If you blame God, you won't be able to trust God. And the devil knows that. And he wants to turn your heart against God. Because he does not want you to trust him. Because he doesn't want you to experience life in him. This is a very real temptation. Have you experienced these temptations? Think this way? Very natural way to think. It's the way we tend to think. James is adamant, though. I think this is in your notes. He says, God cannot be tempted by evil. He's just categorical. And he doesn't tempt anyone. God has no evil intentions towards you. He's not seeking your destruction, but he's actually think, seeking your salvation. And James now begins to speak truth to us because we need truth. We need to hear truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. But James doesn't pull any punches. He's going to speak the truth because we need to hear us. And he tells us the truth about our sin and about God. So first about our sin. He says, temptation doesn't come from God. God isn't trying to tempt you into sin. Where does temptation come from? Verse 14, each one is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust. And enticed by his own lust. That his temptation comes from our sinful hearts that desire. Our hearts are desiring things or wanting things. That's where sin comes from. And our sin reveals what we want. It exposes our hearts. 
And so, in a sense, James is being very clear. Circumstances are not to blame. They're not the cause of our sin. We are to blame. That kind of hurts, right? It's not all, the problem's not out there. The problem's in here, in my own heart. But James is hurting us so he can help us. He's being like a good surgeon who cuts, but he cuts in order to heal, right? And so he's telling us the truth. And so when you sin, I want to encourage you right here. When you sin, don't blame God for your sin. And don't blame others. But ask yourself this question. You might write it down. Ask yourself this question. What do I want so badly that I'm willing to sin to get it? What do I want so badly that I'm willing to sin in order to get it? Behind every sin you commit, that I commit, there's something I want. That's what James is saying. There's something in my heart that's wanting, desiring, longing for something. And if you can identify that, you can identify, oh, I'm wanting the wrong thing. I'm after the wrong thing. And you can repent of that, turn from that, and turn to God. God does not tempt us. Let me just tell you, he does not tempt us even when he brings tough circumstances into our life. Yes, God is in control of your life. Yes, God is, in a sense, he has his hand on the thermometer of your life. And he is in control of everything that's happening in your life. And he sends trials into your life. I'm not going to back off of that. He's in control. He's sovereign over it. But he doesn't do it to hurt you, to destroy you. But rather, he's doing it. What did we say at the very beginning? What's his goal? Spiritual maturity, right? Christ-like character. And so he uses trials and his love, mercy, and goodness to expose our sin in order to lead us to repentance. All right, so I have an illustration here. and We'll see if this illustration works. I have a jar here. And this jar represents your life, my life. And often, when everything is going pretty well, it looks pretty good. It doesn't look too bad, right? Would you drink it? Eh. It doesn't look too bad. It looks pretty clear to you. And most of the time, our sin lies kind of hidden at the bottom, right? And if we tap it a little bit, we can still look pretty good. You know, small trials, I got it. It can look good. But then, God starts to shake our lives. Bigger trials. And what can come out? Ugliness. Dirt. Sin. Let me ask you a question. Did my shaking this jar create the dirt? Did not create the dirt. What did it do? It showed it, right? It exposed it. Trials have a tendency of exposing ugly things in us. Right? Is that true? But why does God do that? He's not destroying us. We can go, ooh, that looks terrible. And we can turn from it. Being aware of sin in your life is actually a very gracious and loving thing. 
If you are aware of sin in your life, God is being gracious towards you. A lot of people walk through life completely unaware of the sin problem they have. And that's, that's God's grace. If God has sent circumstances in your life that cause you to become aware of some of the dirt, that's his grace. It's his kindness. He wants to forgive you, cleanse you of that sin. He wants to transform you. He wants to change you. He wants to lead you to spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? Okay, let me bring my other jar out. The only jar this represents is whom? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. But I can shake this as hard as I can. And look, it's still just pure water. Trials do not make you sin. Never believe that lie that I had to sin because of the circumstances in my life. That's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus Christ is the perfect one. And he was shook up. And he never sinned. You know why that's so precious? It's because he offers his life to you in exchange for your life. And so you can come to him all shook up. And you can look at your life and you can look at his life and he's willing to make an exchange with you. Isn't that incredible? Lord, I want your life. Will you take my life? And he says, yes, every time. And he takes your life and he deals with this on the cross. And he gives you his life. So before God, this is how you look. Righteous in God's sight. That's beautiful, isn't it? So trials, I just want to encourage you. Trials are times of temptation. But don't turn against God, but turn towards Him. And so James says here in verse 16, Do not be deceived. Because this is an area where we're easily deceived. One of the biggest deceptions of our hearts is to believe that we are not responsible for our sin and to blame it ultimately on God. But freedom, real freedom in healing comes when we acknowledge our sin and when we turn to God. Honestly, I did that. I got angry. I mistreated that person. That was me. That's my heart. And I'm sorry. We break before God and we repent of that. All right, so James is being pretty straightforward with us, isn't he? He's straightforward with us about the truth about our sin, but also the truth about God. What does he tell us about God? Well, remember the second lie is to believe that God is evil, that God is seeking our hurt. He's tempting us. And so James counteracts that and says, God is fundamentally good. Fundamentally, God is good. And he points to God's actions and his character. Look at his actions. God is a giver. Look at verse 17. Every good thing and every perfect gift comes from where? Comes from God. 
God is fundamentally good. His gifts are good. They're useful. They're beneficial. And His gifts are perfect. They're complete. There's nothing lacking in what God gives. If you get one thing out of all the sessions here, one big thing that I want you really to get, we've been emphasizing this, is God's goodness. God is good. Remember how we talked about that at the uh, yesterday? God is generous. You can come to him and he never goes, oh, brother, him again, her again. Haven't they come already today? He never reproaches you. He's a giver. He's constantly giving. And here again, we see God's character. He's, he's the giver of good things, perfect things. Good, good, good in all of his ways. And he is good, not just in his actions, but we see that he's good in his character. He's not just good because of what he does. What what did we mention the other day? What was the ultimate thing God does to show his goodness and his love? The ultimate gift. His son, right? He showed us his love in giving us that most perfect of gifts. But God is good not in just what he does, but in who he is. He is the father of lights. It's an interesting expression. Light and darkness are often used in the Bible as metaphors for good and evil. And so what James is saying is he's the source of all good. In 1 John, we read that God is what? God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. So God is presented here as the father of lights from whom there's no variableness. And the second point is there's no change in God. God is good all the time. Every time you come to him, you come to the same God, the God of goodness, the generous God, the giving God. Now, I have good days. I don't know if you're like me, but I have good days and I have bad days. I'm pretty variable. Come to me on a good day and you might get a different response than me on a bad day. It's possible. But you come to God on any given day, at any hour of the day, even the middle of the night, and you're going to come to a God who gives, who's good, who's generous, and who will not reproach you and turn you away. God is good. He goes even a step further. Look at what he says here. With whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. He says, God is such a light. Like he says, even the sun casts a shadow. But God is so good, his light doesn't even cast shadows. That's how good God is. There's no dimming of his perfect goodness in him. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what if I find it really difficult to believe that God is good? What if this is really hard for me right now to believe that God is good towards me? Make it personal. And this is where James goes next. He gives us proof. Let me just say, I understand. If you're having a hard time believing in the goodness of God, I get it. I understand it. There are circumstances in our life that make it very, very difficult to hold on to the truth that God is for us, not against us. Sometimes you have to hold on to that by faith. 
By faith simply means you believe what God says and you stake your life upon it. You hold on to it for dear life. But James wants to give us something to sink our teeth into. And so he says in verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. He's trying to remind us of God's goodness in our lives. He's giving us evidence here of God's goodness. And what does he say? I'll put it up here. If you're struggling with believing God's goodness towards you, what do you need to do? You need to think back to the beginning of your relationship with God and how he saved you. Go back to how God started his work in your life and revealed himself to you. Look what it, look, look how he puts it. He kind of puts it in an interesting way, but that's really what he's getting at. He says, of his own will. Think about how God, of his own will, his own desire. This was God's choice, God's desire. He came towards you. He loved you so much, he came towards you. And he brought you forth. It's the language of new birth or salvation. He, he made you alive. He brought you from death to life. He brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And how he brought you forth, how? By the word of truth. How did God bring about the salvation? By the gospel of Jesus Christ. That message of Christ coming and bearing our sins on our behalf on the cross and offering you his life, that exchange that we were just talking about. That's how he saved us in order for what? That we might be first fruits, first fruits, the first of many. That is what, what, what James is pointing out here is God's not, not God, not he didn't just save you. But God wants to save a whole bunch of people. You're one of many people that God is at work in. See the goodness of God. Think about how God has worked in your life, how He came to how you came to know Him, how He came and sought you. But then look around you and look at how He's working in other people's lives. Now maybe you maybe you can't look back because you've never experienced that salvation. And I want to urge you this morning. Cry out to God. Cry out to him. Be honest with God. Tell him, I don't think I know you. I don't think I've ever turned from my sin. I don't think I've ever put my trust in you for the life that you give me. Turn to him. Today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day you look back on the rest of your life to remember the goodness of God towards you. The goodness of God. But many of you have taken this step, I believe. You've turned to God. You've put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling with the goodness of God, look back, think back to how God, in his love and in his mercy, brought you to himself and saved you. And forgave you. And gave you new life. And put new desires within you. A new heart to follow him. Now here's the logic. Think with me about the logic. If God has come. To deliver you. And rescue you from sin. And ultimately an eternal. Eternal destruction. 
And he's rescued you and given you life and forgiveness and relationship with him. How can God do that and then turn against you? Doesn't make any sense, does it? How can God save you in order to destroy you? That's not, that doesn't make any sense. It's the logic that Paul gives us in Romans 8. So I'm going to end here with Romans chapter 8. And Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like, if God is for us, he can't be against us. How do we know he's for us? He did not spare his own son. He gave what was most precious to him. And he gave, he gave up his own son for us, for us all. And here's the question. If God gave his son Jesus to us, how will he not also freely give us everything we need? God is good. And he's after your good. And even the difficult circumstance he puts in your life are for your good. To reveal your need of Christ. To bring you back to him over and over again. And so I want to encourage you by way of application here, never doubt the goodness of God. Do not doubt the goodness of God. If you doubt God's goodness, it's going to undermine your capacity to trust him. So remember again, those two options. When faced with difficult circumstances, there's two ways you can go. You can trust him, you can move towards God, or you're going to push him away. And so this morning, will you trust him? That's the question. Will you believe his word? Will you cling to him? And think back to our very first session. Will you express that trust in God by rejoicing in his perfect plan in your life? Think back to yesterday's session. Will you trust God? Will you express that trust in God by going to him and asking for wisdom, crying out to God in your need? Will you express your trust in God by boasting, making much of your relationship with God? And then today, will you express your trust in God by clinging to his goodness and refusing to believe the lie that God is against you? Will you cling to that? God has never failed anyone who has put their trust in him. Never. If you put your trust in him, you will not be disappointed. He will meet you. So that ends our session. Again, I have questions here for you to think about. I had a bonus question today, so three questions um, for you to think about. Uh, I want you to think about the three lies, and I want you to think, are there any circumstances in your life right now where you are tempted to believe one of those three lies, or all three of those lies. And then think about that, given that sin is the result of wrong desires, ask yourself that question, what do I want so badly that I'm willing to sin in order to get it? And then thirdly, why is it merciful and good of God to expose my sin by sending difficult circumstances into my life? I want you to think about that. God can be good in sending hard things in your life 
and even allowing those hard things to expose ugly things in your heart. And he's doing it in a loving way because he wants to heal that ugliness. He wants to cleanse that ugliness. He wants to transform that ugliness. So think about those three questions. Again, I'm going to ask you to spend five minutes on your own, but I'm going to make it a little bit different today. I'm going to add one more option. You can go on your own, spend five minutes, think about these questions. But I realize there's a lot that's been coming at you over the last few days. And if there are questions that have arisen in your heart, in your mind, you're like, well, but what about this? Or, but what about that? I'd really encourage you to just go to one of the leaders, one of the counselors. You can come to me. You can come to Pastor Wilkes, Pastor, uh, Pastor Warren. That sounds good. To Warren Payton, who just taught in the last session. The, the, these ones, you know the ones around that, that are leaders. Ask them your questions. They would be able to answer, hopefully answer. If they can't answer, they'll say, I don't know. Let's try to figure that out. Um, but you're welcome to do that as well. So either go on your own or find someone to talk with, and then we will be dismissed. And then at 12.15, again, there's lunch. Okay? So I'm going to pray, and then you all can go. Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks plainly to us, uh, directly to our hearts, and how it speaks truth. Help us to wrestle with the truth and to believe it and trust in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.